It's time for Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Ken is a nationally syndicated automotive journalist and photographer who's been in and around the industry for over 30 years. So tune in for your fill of automotive information and entertainment with your automotive ringmaster, Ken Chester. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. Welcome to another hour of Roadworthy Drive, America's premier mobility news and technology talk show. I'm your host, Ken Chester. Thank you so much for dropping in. For this hour, we pick up a topic that I scheduled for last week but wasn't able to get to. That is keeping pedestrians safe. Other topics for this hour include more privacy issues, a mall owner sharing the contents of its license plate reader with ICE. And why do they have a license plate reader anyway? And then finally, a conversation about the return of used Volkswagen diesels for sale in the American marketplace. Those topics and, of course, our saunter through news from the parts bin in a moment. But for those of you who wish to connect with the show, call or text me on the Roadworthy Driveline, that number, 872-222-9793. If email is your thing, my address is ken at roadworthydrive.net. Either way... Connects you to me and the rest of the Roadworthy Drive crew. Uh, speaking of the usual suspects. We need a new opening li- opening line here. <clears throat> uh, what? What? We need a new opening line. Nah, I like We that. are not the usual suspects. Oh, but you are, though. I want to introduce him anyway. Um, you know him. You love him. You sometimes wonder what he's thinking. That man at the controls, the adult in the room, my friend and Roadworthy Drive executive producer, Jack Fresh in from an undisclosed location, our resident gamer girl, technology geek, and host of our new social media only video show, the sweet, the sassy Miss Sasha. Howdy, my peoples. Hi, Ken. How are you? Not bad. Hey, Jack. Yeah? You got a guest in studio with us. Yes, I do. Who is this individual? Um, well, you know, you keep telling me that I need to take a Sunday off because I really haven't had a Sunday off. Yeah, you get years. really grouchy sometimes. Well, 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 that too, and I come in sick. Yeah, so that's what I, not good. So, so what I did was I made a management decision, and I hired an assistant executive producer. Uh, were the suits okay with that? Suits were fine with it. Okay. Are we paying in with gummy bears? We uh, are. Um, that's up to you guys. You, you, <laughs> have, you have to negotiate this. I just did the hiring. You figure out what you're paying him. Oh, my goodness. I would goodness. like to introduce to everybody Andrew Brown, who is one of the uh, producers at our flagship station at WHO in Des Moines, Iowa. He is going to come in and fill in for me when I need a Sunday off, or as you said, like back in January, I was I should have been home because I was really sick. And and for the record, nobody could truly replace Jack. I mean, that's just not possible. Yeah. So I'm gonna but, let Andrew, I'm gonna let Andrew say hi. You guys can talk to him for a second, and then and then I gotta I gotta get to Miss Sasha in a second. Okay. Say hello, Andrew. Why, hello there. Welcome to the craziness. Yes, uh, very fun. It looks like very fun stuff. Well, we're glad to have you on the team, and hopefully Sasha won't scare you away. (laughs) So far, so good. There you go. Okay. Okay, Sasha. Yes, sir. Did you return the pickup? I did, yeah. Thank God. I did. Uh, Uh, um, um, About that? It it was was difficult. Yeah. In the future, though? Yes, sir. Could you please clean out the bed? I mean, we were having fun. Yeah, but you know what? Those stains are hard to get out. I, I mean, and it w- it was a bed right. that you, actually had, uh, you know, the uh, bed protector in it. it. Yeah, right. the bed liner in it. Yeah, 
Yeah. Just just a heads up. That's <laughs> okay. all I'm saying. Okay. We're going to move on to another subject. Mr. Chester, what is in the park spin this week? The word is Corsair. Say that again. Corsair. C-O-R-S-A-I-R. That was a car in the 60s, I believe, made by Chevrolet that had the suicide doors on it. Uh, no. Oh. What am, I, what am I thinking of then? I don't know. Oh, the Corsair. Uh, that's right. Yes. Um, actually, the Corsair is going to be Lincoln's next generation small SUV. It's going to replace the MKC. Okay, so they're going to get so now they're Lincoln, going to names now. Okay, they're going to names. Yeah, now. they're getting okay. rid of all the letters and the M's and the K's and the. Okay. Yeah, um, they expect it to go on sale as a in twenty twenty as a twenty twenty one model, but here's the thing: they're telling this to dealers now, but they in the same breath. They're cautioning that Ford might change the name again. Okay. I'm a little confused. So am I. Now, Corsair, the name of a pirate ship as well as a World War II fighter plane, fits with Lincoln's embrace of travel-themed nameplates such as Navigator, Aviator, and Nautilus. The brand said late last year it would ditch the confusing MK nomenclature it has used for the last 11 years. And to that, I say, thank God. Yeah. Um, what is the number one market for the MKC? I don't know. Sasha? I really couldn't even guess. Okay, let me take a guess. Fleet? Sir? Fleet? No. China. Oh, really? Yep. Now, in the United States, the MKC attracts more buyers from rival brands than any other Lincoln. A little fun fact there for you. Then why would you get rid of it? But they're not. They're replacing it. They're going to a name. So the next generation, MKC, will actually be, unless Ford changes their mind, the Corsair. They need to go back to the Lincoln Continental. Yeah, well, they need to do a lot of things. I understand. But, you know, such is life. Um, Porsche is buying, if you can believe this, a Creotian technology and sports car company. Honestly, that doesn't surprise me in this day and age. Um, it's called Remac. I've actually seen the re, one of the the Remac uh, Evolution at the New York Auto Show last year. Mm-hmm. This is an oh my god fast sports car with motors in the wheels, electric motors. Okay. Uh, price tag north of a million dollars, and just some really phenomenal tech that they got going on. Okay, Ken, we can pay that out of petty cash. <laughs> Not <laughs> likely. You got that um, right. To give you an idea. Their latest, uh, Rimac's latest version of its electric hypercar, they call it the C2. They introduced it in Geneva this past March. It has a range. This is pure electric. Okay. And no, Sasha, you can't buy one. Yeah. 403 miles. Ooh. That's really good. I yeah. Like it. Top speed. You ready for this? Okay. Yes, sir. 256 miles an hour. I will take it. Yeah. In purple. Wait a minute. Achieves an 80% battery charge in 30 minutes what? through a 250-kilowatt fast-charging system. Wow. Yeah, and you wonder why Porsche bought bought a stake in this company. Again, can we talk to the suits about petty no. cash? Then, yeah, not going to happen. I just, uh, Porsche's quote, we feel that Remax ideas and approaches are extremely promising, which is why we hope to enter in a close collaboration with the company in the form of a development partnership. In other words, look for some of this technology to make its way into future Porsches because Porsche is not playing with electric. They're all in. And may I add that electric Porsche has 
Porsche is owned, wait for it, by Volkswagen. Ooh. Now, I think I knew that, but that's still that's still a surprise to me. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that maybe it might leak into Volkswagens? Absolutely. Because they made a commitment for, what was what year was Many it? Many much electric cars. <laughs> Many much coming out of yeah. every well, Everything at Volkswagen is going to be electric within the next five years. That's what I was years. thinking, that we mm-hmm. talked about that. We, we did. Talk about yeah. it. We did. May I also add that Remac also started an e-bike subsidiary in 2013? They have fourteen hundred. They have four hundred employees. Their main focus is on high voltage battery technology, electric powertrains, and the development of a digital in digital interfaces between man and machine. They ain't playing, is all I'm saying. Um, before we go to the break, here's one more for you. Uh, Byton. That's B Y T O N. They're the Japanese. Co- I'm sorry, Chinese company that's all electric. And they've got a concept car that's even flashier than the SUV they introduced. They call it they're, – they're actually showing a concept vehicle that is an, a luxury electric sedan with more, dri- more autonomous driving capabilities. This has a battery with a maximum range of 323 miles and will be designed from the ground up to be an autonomous car. Okay. It's gorgeous looking actually. And, it's, and all the autonomous stuff – is built in. They want to introduce this in 2021, and it's got a $45,000 price tag. I'm going to let that settle in. A what price tag? Forty-five grand. Ooh. They're also working on a seven-seater electric vehicle that will be used for ride hailing, sharing rides, and carpooling. Hmm. Now, the thing is, they, haven't in- they have not built any cars on their own yet. But they're getting there. And Byton is just another Tesla competitor. Just one more to give you an idea that the, it's getting crowded. For everybody who thinks that electric's not a thing, let me break it to you, people. <laughs> it's a thing. What? Oh, it's been a thing. Yeah, and it's becoming more of a thing. We even reported about big oil going electric. Yep. So food for thought. Now, be sure to stick around for what's next. How automakers are keeping pedestrians safe. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. You are listening to Roadworthy Drive. Roadworthydrive.com is the place to keep up with the latest happenings with Ken and the show. Buckle into those straddle buckets, turn the key, and... 
and you're off with a Rocket V8 in a world of supreme handling, ride, and performance. Step out front in a Cutlass Supreme. If you're just tuning in, welcome to Real Facts, Real Opinions, and Real Talk. This is Roadworthy Drive, and I'm your host, Ken Chester, in studio with the rest of the Roadworthy Drive crew, Jack and Sasha. Together, we uh, do this thing every week. God help us all. Now, last week, we got completely wrapped up in a conversation about smart cities and connected cars that actually took more than the original time I had allotted for the conversation. (laughs) As a result, pedestrians got shoved back to this week. Um, To you pedestrians, it may have felt slighted. I'm so sorry. Without further ado, let's talk about pedestrian safety. Are you game their crew. Yep. Sasha, you Absolutely. Quiet. Okay, pedestrians. Who would have thunk it? I mean, pedestrians and walking around is a, mobi- a function of mobility. And uh, we're talking about some surveys that the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety did. Um, and it starts with, in this particular issue, they talked about the March crash of the Uber vehicle that killed a woman in Tempe, Arizona. They said it was unusual. But in other ways, that accident was typical of fatal pedestrian crashes. An SUV traveling on an urban arterial road struck a person crossing mid-block in the dark. Here's a statistic for you. Pedestrian deaths have jumped 46% since reaching their lowest point in 2009 as pedestrian crashes have become more deadlier and more frequent. Usually happens mostly in urban or suburban areas and, surprisingly enough, at non-intersections or what they call arterials, which are busy roads designed mainly to funnel vehicle traffic towards freeways and, surprise, in the dark. Crashes were increasingly likely to involve SUVs and what they're calling high-horsepower vehicles. In other words, little cars are not out there killing pedestrians. Go figure. But what's happening? We're, mo- we're a society that's moving to what? Crossovers, SUVs, and pickup trucks. So with more of those on the road and being more powerful, uh, your your, uh, lines of sight, not necessarily the best, if you're sitting up that high with something close by you, could be a problem. And according to these surveys, it is. Now, the IIHS said that the analysis that they did told them that improvements in road design, vehicle design, and lighting – and speed limit enforcement are all have a role to play in addressing the issue. Now, 2016, last year they have numbers available. 5,987 pedestrians were killed in crashes, and that accounted for 16% of all crash fatalities. Now, the number of pedestrians had been killed each year declined 20% since 1975, but in 2016, it was the toll was the highest since it was in 1990. Wow. Yeah. Now, they looked at when they did this study, the IIHS looked at pedestrian crash trends from 2009 to 2016 to try to get an idea of the circumstances in which this happened. Now, they said that not only did pedestrian crashes increase, they got deadlier. Deaths per 100 crash involvements increased 29%. Uh, to 2015, um, the most recent year that they had data, including non-fatal ones. Now, not surprisingly, 
pedestrian deaths increased 54% in urban areas. They also increased 67% in arterials, 50% in non-intersections. And get this, they increased by 56% in the dark. And the most, the most frequent crash with a pedestrian involved a single vehicle crash, SUV. That increased 81% over the period, wow. more than any type of vehicle. That that that's part of what's going on. Okay, did you did you say back here? Because here's my question: most of the ones I hear about now aren't at intersections. No, they're mm-hmm. in the middle of a block, and that's yep. what they said. Okay. Now, also remember, we talked a few months ago. Um, we did a segment on what states were doing to basically help pedestrians, most particularly New York State. Mm-hmm. You kind of hu- bar humbug that a little bit back. Yes, then. I did. Um, and that's one of the things that New York is using, uh, and they talk about here, is what they call the pedestrian hybrid beacon, which stays dark until a pedestrian pushes a button. At what point it flashes yellow, then moves to solid yellow, before activating two solid red lights. This type of beacon, formerly known as a hawk, has been shown to reduce crashes. Now that I will believe we have one of those close to our studios here. Mm -hmm. Other improvements, such as curb extensions or median crossing islands, can shorten the distance people must walk or walk across, uh, or what they say, limit, I'm sorry, uh, let me get my facts straight here. Wait (laughs) a minute, get a little happy and I get out of the way. Uh, Allow them. To, defer, to cross over a couple of lanes in, in a single direction of traffic at a time instead of being like trying to cross four lanes of traffic, two going one way, two going the other way, and you're out there in the middle. Right. Um, they believe that this is part of the cure. Another part, it's a term I've never heard before, uh, is re- road configurations, but this is a term, this will get Jack going, mm-hmm. road diets. What? Mm-hmm. Which in which the number of travel lanes for vehicle traffic, oh, God, is reduced. Easy, uh, e- easy, Jack. It's, it's okay. Uh, it, may I suggest the road that is behind my head at the moment? Uh, yeah, I kind of mm-hmm. thought you would. That is also the bike lane. Yeah. Um, what they're trying to do is slow traffic down and give pedestrians and, to a degree, cyclists a chance. Well, and and you know what? I guess I can see that, but I can't tell you how many times I've seen people crossing a major thoroughfare, four lanes of traffic that has islands. They'll, they'll go out and get stuck there on the island yep. until the next time the light changes. Better on that island than in the middle of the road. Well, that's true. And that's part of what they're saying. If you had the island... They could at least be there and have some semblance of safety as opposed to being in a four-lane road with no island, trying to cross and getting stuck because you made it past the one direction of traffic but But couldn't get past the other. Only takes a person um, going out the way out of the lane by what, 6 to 12 inches to clip them? Yep. So, you know, it's something to talk about. But they are working on this roads, highways, and better cameras on existing vehicles to make – drivers more aware of what's around them so there's some hope there when we return a shopping mall becomes a border agent that's next with real facts real opinions real talk this is roadworthy drive you're 
listening to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester on the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. on the downhill side of this hour. Welcome to Roadworthy Drive, where you can be sure to hear real facts, real opinions, and real talk. I'm your host, Ken Chester. So glad you could be with us. Now, for those of you who haven't checked out the show website, why not? Roadworthydrive.com is a virtual warehouse of all the cool things that are Roadworthy Drive. It's also a great place to discover where we are in the universe of social media. Now, for those of you who like us on Facebook, a special treat our weekly social media-only video show called Wheels of Non-Consent. Hosted by our very own Sasha of the Roadworthy Drive crew, it's about, well, let me have Sasha tell you. <laughs> so basically what I get to do is I get to take vehicles from Ken for a very limited amount of time. Yes, bring them back. Right, right. And I get to talk about the technology that's going into the vehicles. I like to give consumers a idea of what's available out there for their dollar. And I like being able to myself experience what the driving experience is with a new automotive. Yeah, it's been a little while, hasn't it? <laughs> Just saying. Well, but you know what? There are a lot of people that are in your boat, too. Well, and we've talked about it here that a lot of people now that maybe are driving 2010s, 2002s, um, some are even still in 99s, 98s. Leave my Yugo alone. I'm trying to. I'm Seriously. trying to. I you didn't really... bring that up. You go away. Oh, but, wow. Um, some, of those, some of these people Good are Yugoslavian now... quality. Some of these people are now getting in a position where they want to make the official upgrade. Maybe they're done with school. Maybe the last kid moved out of the house. Maybe they just got some extra money. Or maybe they just want to feel safer on the road. Or they, their, their, their car has basically gone its last mile. Right. And they mm -hmm. don't want to get into another you know, experience where buying someone else's issue with a used car. So I want to be the one to, you know, hey, this is what's available. This is what you can get for your money. You don't necessarily have to spend $80,000 to get what I think is really called, you know, the lane keep assist. Yeah, you kind of like that. <laughs> I uh, love that That replaced so Canvas now. Now she's lane keep assist. Jack. <laughs> oh, okay. That's, that's a thing. That's a thing. Yeah. Folks, that's called Wheels of Non-Consent Weekly, just for those who have liked us on our Facebook page. Now, for those of y'all that are truly mobile... Check out our past shows of Roadworthy Drive on Google Play, and you'll be glad you did. Now, for this segment, if it's one thing that sets this crew on edge, it's the seeming lack of protections afforded, afforded to Americans with regard to our privacy and personal information. Preach it, brother. Yes. The reason why you are hearing this on a mobility show is because more and more your car, truck, SUV, and or crossover is connected to the Internet. Information is flowing both ways, from supposed anonymous information about vehicle function and road conditions mm -hmm. to the infotainment that you're downloading via your favorite app. Today's vehicles are easily and seamlessly connected to our smartphones, usually through Bluetooth that is standard in most new vehicles today, as well as your vehicle being a Wi-Fi hotspot. Automakers are working with a number of tech companies to further join you your vehicle, and your home together through this fancy thing they call these days the Internet of Things. Yet, with all this information going to and fro, what exactly are you 
and your vehicle sharing? I have no idea. Do you know for sure? Are you okay with it? No. Can you limit, control, or even shut it off? No. We've ever been vigilant here at Roadworthy Drive, sharing with you a few weeks ago California's new privacy law and what it could mean for you. Today, I wanted to share a blatant violation of privacy that I'm sure most consumers were completely unaware it was happening. This is also another good reason why we need a need national privacy laws to protect consumer information and personal privacy. That sort of that's the end of my rant. I'm going to get to the main deal right here. Did you know that our immigration uh, and, and ICE ICE mm-hmm. has contracted with a company to actually get uh, what they call automated vehicle license plate captures? Mm-hmm. And has been now for almost a year. I had no idea. What for what purpose? Ah. The Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency has now gained agency wide access to a nationwide license plate recognition database. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm gonna let that settle. All right. Because I'm on the warpath with that. I'm not comfortable okay. at all. So I'm y- getting there. You are saying I'm there. You are saying. That right now, ICE has contracted with a civilian company. Mm -hmm. In a private contract. In a private contract. Yes, I am. To go around and read people's license plates? They get it from a number of sources. But here's the thing. ICE said it's not seeking to build a license plate data. I'm sorry. A license plate reader database and will not collect nor contribute any data to a national public or private database through this contract, my question is, how do you know? You don't How know. do you know? Who, who's doing the audit? Who is verifying that that statement's even true? Is I don't, it? I, I don't I'm know. not comfortable with that. Okay. Let, let, me, let me deal with this. I'm going to name names. Go the ahead. company you need to know is called Vigilant Solutions. They have amassed a database of more than $2 billion. That's with a B, people, wow. license plate photos by ingesting data from partners like vehicle repossession agencies okay. and other private groups. They partner with local law enforcement agencies, often collecting even more data from camera-equipped police cars. The result is a massive vehicle tracking network generating as many, get this, a month, 100 million sightings per month. Each tagged with a date, a time, GPS coordinates, and GPS coordinates of the sighting. Okay. What information are they gathering from these photos? Just what I said. They get, if, they, if they've got your license plate number, they can look at the registration. Oh, I too. know. I and, know. Excuse me. Date, time, and GPS coordinates, which means if you're collecting this, you can monitor somebody's movements over a period of time. Okay, so when in this day and age where we have local cities being held up for ransom, cyber ransom, we have got uh, major companies like uh, who was the major credit organization that just Equifax? No, 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 it was Equifax. Equifax, Equifax, I'm sorry. Being breached for their personal information. What makes this company think that their security is so... um, uh, hack proof. Yes, I'll say hack proof. While you're on it, 
put a pin in that. Mm -hmm. ICE agents can also receive instantaneous email alerts whenever a new record of a particular plate is found, a system known internally as a hot list. That same alert can be also funneled to Vigilance uh, Apple app. Wait a minute. According to the privacy assessment, as many as 2,500 license plates could be uploaded to the hot list in a single batch, although the assessment does not detail how often new batches are added. Now, how do we know all this, people? Because of a California law that if you are, if you are taking pictures of license plates, you have to say who you're sharing it with and who's collecting it. And I, want, that's a, I want to pick something up after we get to the break. Okay, we'll do that. Last up, use Volkswagen Diesel's Rise Again. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. Roadworthy Drive will be right back. This is Roadworthy Drive. Okay, Ken, I got a question from last hour. By the way, this is Roadworthy Drive. He's Ken Chester. I'm Jack, and she, and she is Sasha. He um, almost got this down. He I've, does. I've wow. almost got this Jack. down. Now, yes, sir. in the last segment, we were talking about the privacy issues, okay? Which you will want to tune in, go to YouTube, and look up Roadworthy Drive to get that conversation. Yeah. Now. And you definitely want to try now, the behind the scenes. Here's yeah. what I know. Hmm? I cannot walk into the DOT without... Some reason, which normally means my lawyer has to do this or a lawyer has to do this, you are not allowed to look up somebody's license plate in this state. Okay. Do you know why you're not allowed to do it? Why? Disgruntled partner. Okay. Divorced women getting harassed by their husbands after they move. Mm -hmm. Okay. You've got all this stuff going on, plus it's part of your privacy. Okay. Now, this to me just makes my blood boil. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To no end, because what we end up with is that nothing that we have is going to be private. Um, I think we are there. Not going to be. I think we're there. But, Jack, you bring up a very excellent point. Right now, if somebody wants to disappear off the, off the grid, they could rent a property, which technically their name wouldn't actually show up. And as long as they get their mail to a P.O. box, you actually never know where they actually live. That will not fly if you have uh, if you run like their license plate. Because mm -hmm. it'll be registered to that person, and they will be licensed to a specific address. Assuming, though, that you choose to have re uh, personal transportation. That's true, too. Well, I mean, if you're going all the way off the grid, uh, there are ways to do it. We talked about this a few weeks back. The European law that all of us know, kind the of right know about. To be, you know, the right, right to be, be forgotten. forgotten. And you know Our what? Our favorite. I want, really drive favorite. I want to be forgotten. Yep. So I guess we'll have to move the show to California, Jack. 2020. I'm no, all for that. No, I think what I think. San Clemente, we're coming. <laughs> I think what we need to do is I know a couple of legislators in this state mm. that we really probably ought to sit down and start talking to them about this stuff and find out, okay, hey, why aren't you guys tackling this? Mm -hmm. I think that's something we need to do, but I'm going to let that, you that, get on that's to this food, That's food for thought, and uh, maybe that's something that we'll tackle as our, uh, our cause. Privacy for all. Amen.
Just, uh, just say, yeah, food for thought. And what are we talking about in this last segment, Ken? Almost three years ago, Jack. Um, in fact, you were there. Yes, uh, I, I was. reported to you that the EPA violate the EPA violations that were discovered in certain Volkswagen diesel models. Uh, since then, um, ooh, since then, it's blown open worldwide with lawsuits, fines, and settlements, but and buybacks from the yep. automaker. In the end. Volkswagen decided to stop making diesels entirely and refocus its vast resources to the electric and autonomous ventures, ponying up some $2 billion in the United States alone. But it does beg the question, what happened to all of those used and knew that they couldn't sell TDI diesel models? Uh, For the record, so we're clear, they were not unsafe to drive from a control standpoint. But they did overpollute in a direct violation of specific federal law. Now, did you know that starting, oh, about March, April of last year, 2017, that there was a growing number of cars that had been fixed and are now in compliance with federal emission laws? And what's more, uh, there's a fact that some dealers are being allowed to actually sell them to consumers, often with a deep discount. Now, are we talking about brand new cars or cars they bought back? I am. Well, actually, let's talk about that because there are two. There are two separate ones. Actually, okay. three. Uh, the ones that are they've allowed to sell are called their Generation Three, their 2015s, and they're two groups. There was the 12,000 brand new ones when the when the company issued a sales stop that they were on lots in 2015 and they couldn't sell them. Right. Those got fixed. There's another 67,000 used 2015s that have also been uh, applied. And in this case, what we're talking about is it's a two-step process. There's a software step that that basically suppresses the defeat part. Right. And in about a year when they have the parts available, there are some parts that these have to be fitted for as well. Now, what this means is that about a year from now, even if you buy these cars, even with the corrected software, which, by the way, the government's letting them sell, uh, you'll have to come back uh, to get the additional equipment. At no cost to the consumer. Exactly right. At no cost. Now, these vehicles currently are selling at some wickedly deep discounts at first. But what's happening, because Volkswagen has announced they are out of that business. They are not building any more diesels Ever. They're done. Okay. Uh, there's a number of people who love them. And in fact, uh, I can tell you, uh, when they were popular, they were basically 8% of all the Volkswagens that they sold in the United States. Right. Were diesels. Um, you know, and it does take some time. That's normal. Uh, during gas crises and things, it could be as high as double that back in the day. But what we're talking about basically is the 12,000 new 2015s that were fixed and allowed to be sold. Uh, and the 67,000 used 2015s and some 2016s that were able to be sold. Now, here's here's a question that I have. These vehicles, let's just take the new ones as an example. Mm-hmm. These vehicles have set for almost three years and didn't run. Two years, and they okay. because they were released about March, April of last year. Okay. Now. Is there any other additional warranty that was put on those engines because things dry up when you don't drive them Rodents get in there. Well, well, bear in mind, number one, the new ones would have the original factory warranties on them. Right. From the day they were, you know, day they were sold. So you've got that. 
Plus, I'm sure that the manufacturers would have gone through these vehicles before they'd release them to sale, because that's the last thing you need is another lawsuit on top of all the other lawsuits Correct. that the cars are faulty. Um, they would have, in fact, the way I got into this is a dealer in Illinois that actually is courting people who want to buy uh, the 2015s and certain used 2015s that they've gone through mm-hmm. and have the, um, uh, the corrections applied. I would like to know how deep that discount really is. It was deep. But what's being offset is there were a lot of people wanted them. Yeah. So the original, the, the funny thing is the used ones, uh, Volkswagen dealers got first crack at those. Mm-hmm. But for most, you're going to get them at a steep discount. Even this dealer, who's not a Volkswagen dealer, he's a luxury car dealer okay. uh, in Illinois, uh, talks about deep discounts on the TDIs they're selling. And they say specifically, yes, we the, the what needed to be fixed federally to meet the standards has been fixed, okay, my, and we're selling them at a very deep discount. My question would be, is there some kind of certification that comes with these cars that said they were fixed correctly? I would imagine there would be. There would have to be legally in order to be satisfied. They didn't get in what that paperwork is called, but it would have to be. So um, food for thought there, people. If you want one, move quickly. Uh, and with that... This ends the conversation for the hour. On behalf of Jack, Sasha, and myself, thanks for listening. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. You've been listening to Roadworthy Drive. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of the Motor News Media Corporation.